about a couple of days ago, I think like four or five days ago, the Lord spoke to me about pe preaching, speaking, teaching, whatever it's going to be, on uh, passion for, for God. Um, now, it's a funny thing, but teaching on something like passion for God is kind of like when somebody asks you about your husband or your wife or your kid or your mom, why do you love them so much? And it, isn't it hard? That's probably one of the hardest things to do. Like when you have to get up and recognize somebody and say, well, let me see, what can I say about this person? And trying to find the words that kind of encompass everything that this person is to you is kind of difficult. And it's also hard to find the words to express the journey um, that you've been on in this coming to know someone in that way, to, to, to love them passionately. And passion doesn't mean, obviously, just sex. Passion means passion. That means with everything in your heart. And what's funny when they talk about Jesus and Passion Week, I know it means a, a, a lot of things, but what it means more than anything else is that this is what he was set on this earth to do, and this was his passion. It was going to cost him everything that he had to do it. So, you know, we need to have a, a, a passion for God. And before I started to get ready to do this, it was funny, like two days ago, then I really had a, a burden on my heart to read um, about Joseph, which was confusing to me because I'm going, okay, well, what do you want me to teach about? Do you want me to teach about Joseph? Or do you want me to teach about passion for God? I wasn't sure what it was. But I know that the Lord spoke to me about the, the reading that I was doing on Joseph's life to be more specifically for me, but I'm going to share a little bit of that before I start to speak on this. And, and this whole teaching has me a little nerve-wracked and has kind of messed me up the whole week because when you start to read about the, the passion for God, you have to go, like, into that place. Anybody that's a, is anybody here a, a writer or considers themselves a writer? Well, when you write or an artist of any kind or when you have to produce art of any kind, you have to kind of dip into that world you have to go there emotionally and mentally and spiritually to produce whatever you're going to produce. So on, in the natural, if I have to write, I have to go to that place. So if I have to sit down and, and think about what it is that God's saying to me about this to do it effectively, it engages me in a way emotionally that's difficult. And this, this particular topic is a difficult topic, but it's very critical for right now, for where we are right now as a body of Christ, not just here but the body of Christ as a whole across this nation, we cannot be ignorant anymore. We have to be paying attention to the things that have been happening around us. It's funny, I was talking to Pastor Sam today on the phone. We were talking about standing in Babylon and the message that God has given him through that and the fact that, and Pastor Mary mentioned in the preaching on, on Sunday as well, that they're building these, if you weren't here this Sunday, they're building these gateways or these arches that are reproductions of the entry to the Temple of Baal in Times Square. So I don't know if this is the first time that you hear this, but this is actually happening. It's not a lie. I immediately go and check to see the, the validity of stuff like that because you see a lot of crazy things on Facebook and social media and they blow it out of proportion. But they, in fact, are doing that. They're doing that in Times Square. They're doing it in Trafalgar Square in, in London. And they're planning on doing it in key cities across the world. And, and this speaks to where we are now in the world. Because God's coming back for the church across the globe. Amen? So this is speaking to something. So, so I think that we're positioned in a lot of ways. I do believe that we're not perfect. I do believe we struggle with sin. But I do believe we teach the truth. 
I do believe we have a prophetic message that God is, is utilizing that's coming through Pastor Sam for standing in Babylon that our team engages in, engages in. That's a difficult message to have to live with and deal with. And I really do hope that you're listening because sometimes I'll see somebody, you know, move on from this church to somewhere else and I see them doing things that I'm like, well, didn't we talk about that in church? Weren't you paying attention? It's, it's please pay attention. Pay attention to the word of God. And, and we say that if something bothers you or it gets you angry when you hear it up here from the pulpit, go and check the word because what all, the only thing that matters is what the word has to say about it. So we applaud that. We encourage that. Go back to your word and check it. But let me tell you something. If it is in the word and it's true, you better stick to that thing like glue because it's what you need right now. It's what you're going to need right now to survive spiritually. This is no joke. We're feeling the, the, the undercurrents, the rumblings of, of, of just a lot of things happening spiritually. I, I, can't, I honestly cannot believe I'm in a, a, a place in time right now that I'm living to see something that I thought I would never live to see. And I, I literally wonder, even though I grew up my whole life hearing Jesus is coming soon, I really wonder whether or not Jesus is coming soon. For the first time ever, do I really, really think that that is a strong possibility I used to doubt it before because nations across the earth were going through wars and rumors of wars, right? But what we haven't seen before ever in, in all of history um, is depravity across the planet the way that we see it now. So there's a lot going on. Now, when I was thinking about passion for God, because that's the only thing that is going to keep us alive right now. And I'll explain why that is. And as I was reading even through the story of, of Joseph, um, one of the things that I gleaned from that is that Joseph was a man of incredible integrity. He went through a lot of things. We know he went from the, from the pit to the prison to the palace, those three places, right? Everybody familiar with the story of Joseph? If not, you can, I'm not going to go into every single little detail, but please go home and read it in your Bible. But he went through that, through that journey, and his own brothers betrayed him. And there was 12 of them all together. And this family came from two sisters, Rachel and Leah. Their father's name was Israel, who was actually Jacob, right? But Jacob did a lot of sneaky, slimy things to finally get Leah. I mean, to finally get Rachel, because he got Leah first in the beginning. And he didn't care as much for Leah. He had 10 kids through Leah and then had two through Rachel. One of those was Joseph and the other one was Benjamin. So, of course, many of you have seen the Broadway play, The Many Colored Coat, right? His father gives a coat to him because he favors him, because he favors his mother. There's all of these things that go on. They throw him in a pit. They plan to kill him. They throw him in a pit. They sell him into slavery. And he goes through so many things that would make any of us bitter just when, our, when the first second that any of our brothers would come and decide to betray us, we'd already be in some deep bitterness. But what sustained him, I believed, I believe was his passion for God. He knew who God was. He knew God was sovereign. He knew God had control of his entire life. And that every single thing, and we know that. He says, what you, know, what you meant for evil, God turned it around for good. He says this at the end. So he knew that every single thing that God did along the way had a purpose. And maybe as you're sitting here in this place, you need to get strong right now. We're getting ready to enter into time of warfare that has, or we're already in it actually, that we've never seen before. And usually if you're going to go into a time of warfare, if people are getting ready to do that, they, 
they work out, you know, they prepare for it. They go through, uh, I'm, I haven't been in the army, but I'm sure you go to boot camp and you learn a lot of things that you're going to need when you're getting ready for warfare. So you guys need to get strong now. So that means if you have any baggage from before, if you don't understand why God did certain things in your life, you need to lose the bitterness, you need to lose the anger, you need to lose all the baggage so that you can step into war. You can't carry baggage and step into war. How ridiculous would that be if you walked onto a battlefield and you're carrying a bunch of luggage? How long do you think you'd be alive? Right? You wouldn't last very long. God wants us clean and ready and hungry on the battlefield, ready to go, ready to move. So whatever you have, you go to that word and you mark it and you look at it against the word. If you have any resentment against anybody, against anything, God right now is calling us to get our junk in order, right? To uh, reconcile whatever needs to be reconciled, to, to just get ready to enter in because we're in that place already. And it's time. And I know that the whole church is not engaged. Um, there's people that are still asleep, but we can't worry about everybody. Right now, we got to worry about who's in this house. And then we got to worry about wherever God sends us to, right? Prophetically. Um, and we'll get there. But first, we got to worry about here. Because <laughs> if you guys are not ready, we'll be like the sons of Siva. Remember them? You'll go out and you will get a behind whipping from the devil because you won't be ready. So we need to be ready. So um, we need to be in a place where we develop our passion for God. And more than anything, God wants us to be with him more than we want to be with him. He really wants that. He desires to spend time with us. God calls out to us. There's a verse in Revelation 3 that's always misused. I've heard pastors misuse it from the pulpit where they're doing an altar call and they use the following verse. And that's not what this meant. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, what he's doing in this verse is he's speaking to the churches and he's speaking to the end time churches. So he's speaking to what? To believers. God is standing at the door and knocking at people's. Now, these are end time churches. He's standing at the door and he's knocking and he wants to speak to believers. This verse was not meant for people just getting saved. This is God standing and knocking. And the reason why he's standing and knocking is that there's a lot of confusion around us. And the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. So he's saying, hey, I'm knocking at the door. If you open up, I'll come in, I'll sit with you and I'll reason with you. I'll, I'll explain to you what's going on. Whatever questions you have, I am here to answer them. I am the Lord, your God. But we have to let him in. So God is standing at our door and he's knocking. He has the answers, the Holy Spirit, his word, um, and through prayer, that's where we'll get everything that we need to know. That's where we'll receive what we need to receive. We need to take the opportunity to meet with Jesus. He loves us. We're his bride. I, I, I always find it interesting. God is God, so he's perfect, right? So he picks certain words on purpose, don't you think? And he picks words that we understand. So he says, we're his bride. What more could any man love than his own bride? Amen? He wants to spend time with us. He wants to love us. He wants to pour out on us. He wants to make us feel safe. He wants to 
uh, provide for us. He wants to do all of those things. The things that a, a man would do for his bride in the natural, God wants to supersede that and do that for us. But he wants us to understand that we're his bride and he loves us. And he has a tremendous passion for us and he wants for us to have the same passion for him. But in order for us to desire him, we have to be in a place of hunger. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It says, and I happen to like this, this version, for they shall be satisfied. It's not just filled, it's satisfied. There's nothing in the world that is going to satisfy you the way Jesus is going to satisfy you. You will always have lack. If you're running around after all of these different things, the only place you're going to find satisfaction, real satisfaction, is in Jesus Christ. But in order for us to have real passion for God, it has to start first with the hunger. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, have we lost our hunger for God? All of us came from work, from school, from home, wherever it was. Maybe we had a busy day. Tomorrow's going to be a busy day. Next week's going to be a busy week. This month's going to be a busy month. But are we hungry for God? We're on this earth for a purpose. We're here to accomplish something. And we're in this romance with God. We're seated at the right hand of the Father. We belong to him. Amen? He calls us out. He wants to speak to us. So he's wanting to work this passion in us. But the passion needs to start first with the hunger. And a lot of us have lost the hunger and the thirst for God. We know it because we don't feel it anymore. We don't feel it the way that we used to. And there is no honor in saying, I used to this, and I remember this, and I remember that. That's not a place where we stay. You should be provoked to a certain level to shame saying, well, God, I, I want to go above and beyond that. I want to do exploits with you, God. I want to be hungry for you and for your things. Let's go to um, Psalm 42. Psalm 42 says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God? with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So throughout the psalm, you're seeing this is David speaking. And he is hungering for God, even though he's in the depths of misery. And one of the mistakes that we make is the minute we go through a miserable situation, instead we blame God and we pull ourselves away from him. 
David's response is a correct response. Now, you might not have all the right feelings when you're going through stuff. There's a lot of things going on and pain going on and confusion going on. But if you know God and if you have passion for God, your first response will be to hunger for him, to look for him, to ask him to step into the situation. And, you know, here's the sad part about it. It shouldn't just be when everything goes wrong. The problem is we wait till everything goes wrong before we try to start to look for God again. When we should be looking for him all the time. If we had passion for him, if you're passionately in love with somebody, you're going to be looking for them all the time. And you know that that's the case. There's a quote from a book called Spiritual Depression. That's by Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's the name of the writer. And he says, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they're talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment, David's in Psalm 42, was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts, he starts talking to himself the following way. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him and crushing him, so he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Now, you know, and it's true, anybody that's been through, through, through struggles and through trouble and especially extended periods of time where things are the same and it could be not deep trouble it could be my life is the same it never changes my life is horrible and anybody been in that you know like that's like the medium horrible and the not so horrible but when you wake up in the morning often your first thoughts will go to why your life is horrible that's where your first thoughts go to in this case where David in fact is in a horrible situation he is speaking to his own soul and saying, why are you downcast, oh my soul? He's attempting to take control of the situation. And you can take control of that situation. You have an ability to do so. If you have not been in a place where you're in the deepest and dark, and there's people that have been some deep, in some deep, dark, terrible things, we are to appropriate every moment that we have for the Lord and not waste time dwelling in dark places. We can speak ourselves out of those dark places. And this is not mysticism. This is use of the word of God. We can speak ourselves out of those dark places. But the only way you're going to believe that is if you know who you love, who you're passionately in love with. We have to be passionately in love with God in order to do that. So um, the Psalms, this particular Psalm says the songs, uh, uh, it was for the Korahites. And they were a group of priests who were charged with the ministry of singing. Second Chronicles says about them. The Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So this particular psalm, and it's funny, this is, this, is, <laughs> this is David's life in a psalm. And in case you haven't figured out, for anybody that writes songs, you know, and I even see it in my daughter now, and you see it in Pastor Sam's songs, there's, they're writing about stuff they've been through. Anybody that writes anything is writing about stuff you've lived through. So... Here's David's life being poured out into a song. And this song, because it, was, it came from the Lord, was used in public worship. 
The purpose of it was to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Because God made us with emotions. Don't buy the lie where you're hearing in other uh, streams of thought when it comes to how you worship God that emotions are bad. They're not. God made us emotional. He made us emotional. He would not have put a whole book of songs in the Bible and other songs in the Bible if he didn't think that this is how he could reach us. So he's using these psalms. Our emotions are, are important. And they serve a purpose in our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. So God is speaking to these emotions through this stuff. Then it says that it's a masculine, the, the, uh, the, the psalm. And that comes from a Hebrew, Hebrew verb that says to make, to make someone wise or to instruct. So these songs were not just songs for the act of worship, yes, but they were also songs of instruction. This particular song was a song of instruction. Now, t- let me tell you, don't you think that you are hearing and listening to a message that's really important to listen to in the psalm? I know what happened to me when I first got saved is that when you go through, and you probably still do this, and I still do it, not just when I first got saved, you go through some rough stuff, what's the go-to book usually? Psalms, right? Because there's some deep stuff in there. But it wasn't just them writing about the victories, the triumphs, the depressions. It was also anointed by the Holy Spirit to instruct. And what really makes that interesting is for us and what we do here as a church, understand that this stuff is not just art and songs. It's not, man. It's anointed of the Holy Spirit to reach someone's heart. When the anointing of God is on it, God's going to send it to speak to someone's heart. David knew this. King David knew this. He was a man after God's own heart. He strove after God with everything that he had. He loved the Lord so much. So, this is the purpose. This was the purpose of his, his songs, not just to instruct and to wor- not just to worship, but to instruct as well. And that's that's what it was for. They were inspired of God. So in this particular psalm, you can see that David feels very alone, and he's extremely depressed. It says in verse three, "Where is your God?" And verse ten says, "As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me." While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Now, they would not have been saying these things to him if it didn't look to them that David's life was in a big mess, right? They're talking to David. So they're saying to him, where is your God? He must have been in a lot of trouble and he must have been in a lot of mess. That's for sure for them to be in a place where they're saying. So to them, it looked to them as though he was abandoned. It looked to them as though he was abandoned. But trials don't necessarily mean abandonment. And that's the problem with a lot of the theology today. The God that I serve and that reflects the word of God, especially during these times, may look different from the God that a lot of other people serve and that a lot of other Christians serve. They don't understand that it's part of the school of the spirit to go through trials and to difficult, through difficulties. That God allows these things for us to learn. That there's something that's going to come from that refining fire that we need to submit ourselves to. But that's not everybody else's God. So what do you have? The devil's going to pick you up. It's, it's funny, as I was looking through things, I saw one pastor preaching this week that was talking about the fact that I'm not going to say what the topic is so I don't give it away. But the pastor was talking about the fact that um, he loves Metallica. And he loves celebrating Halloween. And I'm, I'm watching this and I'm going, how can you love a demonic band and how is that okay? 
And this is a, 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 um, a teaching pastor at a church. So they, they are being taught to serve a God that's not a God of the Bible. We need to serve. Now, remember what I said before. We make mistakes. We sin. I am not standing up here and being arrogant and saying that I'm not as prone to sin as somebody in any other church. But what I will tell you is that we'll teach the truth. Amen? Amen. And that's what's important. People think your God should be like their God. But, you know, you don't want to fall in love with something that really isn't. How can you fall in love with God if you really don't know who he is? I remember hearing a joke once about a, a guy that, that married a girl, and then when they, when they went home for the marriage uh, night, she, she took her weave off, she pulled her teeth out, you know. There was a whole series of things that happened. And he was like, what did I marry? So it may look really awesome on the outside, right? It may be pleasing to you, but I want to know who I'm in love with. I want to know who I'm in love with. We want you guys to know who you're in love with. We want you to really be passionate about God as who he is, not something that we paint to be God that isn't. People think that it should be easy to serve God, and if we aren't careful, we're going to become discouraged because somebody else's God is much easier to serve. And if we don't know the word, we will be deceived. And we'll say, well, why should I have to do this or do that? Why is this right? And why, but why is this wrong? The only way you're going to know that, amen, is two things. And we said this before. You have the word, and for things that are not in the word, God sent the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. And that teacher, the Holy Spirit, fills in the blanks. That's what he's here for. So we see that David is tormented in verses 5 and 11. He describes himself as cast down and in turmoil. And in verse 3 he says, my tears have been my meat day and night. Now, this is a pretty difficult situation because based on what David is saying, he's been crying all day long. God knows for how long. And this is a man saying this, but, you know, and even with the guys, you know it. When you're on your own, maybe you're not walking around crying during the day because you don't want anybody to think anything of you. But when you get in your room alone, there's those times where you've been there and you have lost your hope and you will cry. The women, we're okay. We'll walk around and cry during the day. <laughs> we're okay with that. What's wrong with you? I'm going through something. You know, we're all right with that. But so he's crying. And it's t- he says his tears, I love that line. I mean, you know, only, only a, you know, here's a poet. My tears have been my meat day and night. I mean, that's really intense. So he's been crying all day long. So in all of this, we see that David is fighting for hope. He says in verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Verse 11 says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's not giving in to his emotions. He is telling his soul, no matter what he's feeling at this moment, what he's going to do. And why can he do this? Because he knows who God is. He knows who God is. But you can't know God without going through the steps of making an attempt to really know him. Amen? There's work that goes into that. 
in order for your passion to be restored, you have to find your hope. A lot of us lose passion. Our hope has to be in one place, and our passion must lie in one place, and it must be in God. In verse 8 it says, by, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. In verses 5 and 11, he says, God is my salvation and my God. And even though he says it looks as if God has forgotten him, he knows that God is sovereign. Joseph knew that, and that's why he did not stray off of the path for God. Moses knew that. Abraham knew that. We could go through a whole list of people in the Bible that knew that. They knew who God was, so they stayed the course, and they didn't move for that. And then David... um, does something really interesting, he sings. And he says that during the psalm. He is hungry. He is hungry for the Lord. He's asking for God to restore the hunger for his presence and the hunger for fellowshipping with him. And just he, he's just seeking out for God. So he begins to sing. And I know for myself and many of you that when there's nothing else that you can say and nothing else that you can pray, Sometimes a song enters into your heart and you just sing in God's presence. And I know there's something very, very powerful and special about that worship to God because of the way that it's given. And it really is given as an act of worship. That is the hardest time to sing. That is the hardest time to worship God when everything has gone wrong, when you're in pain, when you're in trouble, when you're afraid to go into God's presence and sing. When you know that you failed him something terrible, it is hard to go in and worship, but God receives that really as a beautiful fragrance in his presence. So whenever you don't know what else to do, I, I tell you, if you've never done that before, open your, and sometimes it's hard. You don't feel, you don't even feel like singing. But I know when I've been there and I start to sing, man, there is something about the way God meets me on my own as I start to sing and I'm broken that God just comes down and comforts me and speaks to my heart and gives me the answer that I need for that moment. And you just kind of know that everything is going to be okay. But you can only know that if you know him, if you're looking for him. A passionate love for God comes from a knowledge of who God is. Now, this is what I found with people that really, really, truly are in love. Sometimes you meet somebody, you, 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 you start dating them or whatever, and say, I think I'm in love, right? And you think you're in love. Okay, that's nice. Maybe you are in love. You might be in love. But when you really know you're in love is when you are in this relationship with this person, either you're going to get married or you're married already, and that person stands in between you and pain. When that person gets in the way of something that could potentially harm you, when that person comes to your rescue, as far as I'm concerned, that's when you really know what passionate love is. That's how we get to passionately know who God is. We start first with, of course, he opens up our eyes. We get saved, yes. We begin to read the word, but as we begin to see how he works in our lives, the the healing that he brings, the restoration that he brings with family, the things that we always wanted that we thought we could never have, that all of a sudden God does it because he loves you and you're his kid. And something terrible is going to happen and God stands in the gap, right? And he stops it. That's when you fall in love. 
That's how it is with God. And David had seen God step in so many different times. He knew who he was worshiping. He was in pain. It doesn't mean that when the trials come, remember, if the trials come, hey, you know what God you're serving. He's allowing it. So what am I learning out of this? But one thing that I do know is that he will restore my soul. He will preserve my soul. He will stand in the gap for me. He, he has saved me and will continue to save me from situations. That's how you learn to passionately love somebody. In Job 42, verse 5 and 6, Job was kind of yelling at God or telling God like he knew what he was talking about. And God basically yells back. And after that exchange, Job says in 42, verse 5 and 6, he says, I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. When you really know God, and it doesn't mean, trust, trust me, even when you really love God, there's things that happen where hopefully you don't, but you kind of feel like you want to, pick your fist up and, 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 and shake it, but you hold yourself back because you love the Lord. One thing that you do know is that in those exchanges where you've stepped over the line and maybe you've offended God and you've asked too many questions, and, but why God, but why God, but why God, but why God? He's like, shut up because that's where I have you. And you finally realize that shut up when he yells back at you, oh God, I'm so sorry. I should have shut up a long time ago and just let you do whatever you're going to do and stop fighting with you. He is in charge. Amen? He is sovereign. People like Joseph, people like David, these people, these men of God, they knew that. doesn't mean that they didn't slip over the line some, but they knew that God was sovereign. Psalm 42 verse 8 says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So in this part of the psalm, he's trying to find his hope. Maybe he still doesn't feel his hope, but he knows where the source of his hope is. Now, I know this, this, this may be counterintuitive for passion for God, because sometimes you hear a passion for God message you're teaching, and it's like pray a lot and then do this and then do that and do the other thing. If you're willing to go on the journey with God, if you're willing to allow him to place you in, a, in the school of the spirit and in a place of teaching, to submit to pain when you have to submit to pain so he can mold you and shape you. That's the place where you really learn to have passion for God. That's where you really learn to know him. We have to learn to preach the word of God to ourselves. When people first told me that, it came off because it, when I grew up, I grew up with a background of witchcraft. It came off very metaphysical to me, you know, sort of just this weird sort of witchcrafty thing. Like, just say the words, you know? But in fact, it's not. The word of God is living and powerful. So when you're saying things to yourself, if God is for you, who can be against you? We are more than conquerors. Those that walk in the spirit will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you speak the word of God over yourself in your prayer, it's alive. It's, it's going to have an effect on you. But you know what? These, these very same words have an effect in the spirit. They do. So... We have to grab a hold of that and do that. Put our soul into submission and put the spiritual world into submission as well, too. Use the word of God. It's a weapon. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. It's a weapon. 
It quite seriously means that. So you're, you're losing out when you're going into prayer. We pray, and we pray a lot of weird stuff. Nowadays, they have people praying, Lord, you know, come and tickle my feet. And it's like, what are you talking about? That's not in the Bible. Lord, come and tickle my feet. You know, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I've heard stuff like that online that's really close to Lord, tickle my feet. When we should instead be praying the word, because it's the word of God that is the sword. You want to do battle in prayer? Take that word out. Read it. Speak it. Use it. That's why God gave it to us. So David remembers. He calls his past experiences to mind. And he says in Psalm 42, verse 4, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So here's David. He's remembering. Now, get that picture in your head, what he just... Here he is in front of a group of people. Man, they're joyous. joyous. They are, you know, going to worship. They are worshiping. They are loud. They are happy. He remembers leading in a multitude of people into worship. Sometimes we have to remember, and sometimes God has to remind you who you are and where you started. We get away from that moment when God first saved us and did all those miracles in our life. We forget the, just this gratitude and this joyousness that came over our heart when we saw him began to begin to put things together and to save us from stuff that we should never have been saved from. So we had a lot of joy and gratitude in our hearts. So sometimes we have to go back to that place and, and remember that. In a place of bitterness, you're not going to get blessed. God is not going to pour out what he has for you. Do you remember what God used to do when you prayed and when you sang and you called out to him? Everybody has, this, has the following story. I remember when God this, that, did this, blah, 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 at a specific time. We all have that kind of story. There's always this height. But hey, shouldn't our height be, or our hope for the next height be tomorrow and next week for God to do something even more powerful that it shouldn't be two years ago, it shouldn't be five years ago, it shouldn't be when we first got saved? We need to move beyond that. God, when will I see your glory again? Did you forget what God's glory looks like? David takes a minute to remember during the psalm. He had to remind himself that God moves powerfully. Oh, man, I remember that rejoicing. I remember that rejoicing God. When your passion starts to come back, you remember. When you're in this place of hopelessness, you can't remember nothing. God was never good to you. I don't remember. And then somebody, your friend usually has to come alongside you, smack you in the head and, hey, did you forget? Did you forget that, you know, God healed your son? Did you forget that he healed your marriage? Did you forget that when you were getting thrown out of your apartment, he got you a job? Did you forget all that stuff? We forget when we lose our, our joy. But do you know that, that that is, I honestly feel, and when I do that myself, that that's a place where we're insulting God. We've forgotten the things. So David says, I remember God. I remember when I was joyously uh, worshiping you. When you have no passion, you forget. And the only thing that you're going to remember is what's happening right now. That's it. Your mind is consumed with right now. You forget everything else. It's only about now. 
God wants us to remember his benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Forget not his benefits. He wants us to remember those things. It's important because God has a track record. He's good. He's good, and he's God. And there's nobody that's going to stand in the way of him doing what he wants to do or his sovereign will or his intent or what he has planned out for you. That's what makes Joseph's story so beautiful is that God was going to do what he was going to do, and he had a way that he was going to do it, but at the end of the story, he accomplished exactly what he said. No one was going to stop him. Now, along the way, when we go through things, God shapes us and he forms us. You know what the funny thing is? is I honestly believe that there's, when we go through all these different things, there's going to come a day, if you submit to God, and if God does his work in you, that you're going to say, that's why. That's why I had to go through that. That's why that was so tough, because look at this now. This doesn't feel so bad. This is not so difficult. I have faith for this now, because God took me through that situation before, so I have faith to go through this thing now. God is sovereign. We can't ever forget that. Sometimes we think that he's not in charge. He is in charge no matter what. No matter what, he is in charge. Nothing will thwart his will. He will do what he wants and what he plans. So David remembered that also as they came together and they worshiped together, there was something really powerful happening. As we come together to worship, supernatural things begin to happen. We forget the power of that, the possibilities of that. That as we walk into God's house on Sunday, as we come in, we should be coming in the way uh, uh, David was describing, and we would if we have passion for God. We'd be walking into his house saying, what's God going to do next? He's going to do something amazing today. And our, our mentor, Howard Morgan, would always say, we draw on the anointing of God. If you have an expectation of him and you come into his house and you love him, he is going to show up. He's going to start to move. He's going to start to move. He's looking for us to begin to exercise our faith and to begin to believe him and to remember. So David is thirsting for God. He says in verses 1 and 2, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? What makes this particular verse so beautiful is that he's not thirsting for relief from a situation. Listen to what he's saying. He's not thirsting to be saved from his enemies. He's thirsting to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, isn't that an amazing thing? People keep asking me, what's going on? Why is your life so messed up? But he says, God, I just want to be with you. That's the mark of somebody who's passionately in love with God. His prayer was not focused. The beginning of this psalm, the beginning of this song as he's offering to the Lord is focused on him spending time and being with God. If your hunger dies or your passion dies, one of the reasons that, that, that you begin to see this, if you're not longing to be in his presence anymore, you know because you can do without reading his word. You're okay with just what you get from the pastors when they preach and teach. God and his word is not your priority every day. We live on the leftovers of what we already know. And this is dangerous because God's word is alive. And, and when you go to it, and you know this, how many of you have read a passage of scripture one year and then two years later you read it and you go, oh my God, I never saw that before. His word is alive. So you can't live on the fumes or what happened before. You need to be in the word continually. 
we know that our passion is waning because we're not offended by the things that offend God. We know our passion is waning because we can tolerate compromise. And I use the example of the pastor saying that, you know, he said when he first got saved that he went to a church and they told him, you can't be listening to heavy metal music and Metallica and you can't celebrate Halloween. And he says, wow, I'm so glad I'm free from that now. When you can tolerate compromise, that's how you know you're getting away from God, from the truth. You don't cry when you see unrighteousness. We let ourselves get away with little things and we don't cry over things that we do anymore. We start to rationalize everything, even our own sin. And that's why we have a way of tailoring a religion to fit our weaknesses. So we try to fit ourselves in a church where, okay, this is comfortable for me because I could still, they're okay with these things that I do. When you should be looking to find a place where God is speaking to your heart and you're beginning to, to change and to grow and to reflect who Jesus really is. I'm wrapping it up. You know that you are walking away from God or his presence or not hungry anymore because personal holiness is not important to you anymore. You know this also because you can go to church and actually sit in services and not be hungry for God. And that's, that's amazing. At my worst, I've still been hungry for God. <laughs> I'm, I've done horrible things and still been hungry for God. But what I don't get, this is what I don't get, is when people come to church and they sit in a seat and they're like, I, I, I don't know, I clock, uh, clocking in, you know? We know we don't hunger for God because we substitute what we do in church for the time we spend with him. We know we're not hungry for God or we're, we're less hungry for God because we are no longer sensitive to the things of God. We know that we are not hungry for God because passion for souls is not part of who we are anymore. And we don't care whether people get saved anymore. The best part of a service for, I think all, all of the pastors will agree with this, is that the best part, nothing tops this. Nothing tops this. And pastors tell me if I'm wrong. When somebody gets up here and they get saved. And I will tell you that when I've been struggling with, oh my God, what are we going to do? And the, you know, the, the, the church has gone through things with the mortgage and all that kind of stuff. And people come up here and they're broken and they're receiving Jesus for the first time. That reminds me why I do what I do. That is, there, nothing comes even close to that. So, we need to get ourselves in a place where we're hungry again for God because if you're not hungry, you will not read the word. You will not pray. And if you do not read the word and if you do not pray, I'm talking about on your own, not just on Sunday and Tuesday, then you're not going to be passionate. And passion is described in the following way. This is the last thing I'm going to say. When somebody's passionate about what they do, they get up in the morning, they're so excited, they you know, run off to do what they're going to do, they're passionate about it. They love what they do. Now, a lot of us, and I can ch see from social media, gives your, your whole intent away. If I looked at your, your, your Instagram or your, your Facebook and there's no mention of God ever, and all you talk about all the time is uh, the 20 guitars that you bought in the past year, or um, I'm, not p I'm picking on the musicians, but I'm close to you guys, so it's okay. And they're really not like that. So this, but let's say that that's all you have in there and you never talk about God. Wow, this is like amazing. And listen to this lick that I'm doing and all, all of this. And there's not, wow, you know, I got this and I can't wait. We're going to be doing a service. You know, you could tell what people are passionate about. 
The only way we're going to get passionate about God is if on our own, we're reading the word, praying, and seeking him. That's how we get to know him. That's how we get to know who the real God really is. That's how we can defend ourselves against lies. And, and that's how you can really enjoy the fullness of God. He intends for us to have life abundantly. That's what he wants. So let's work to get on track with that. Amen? Don't just fill a seat in here. Let's start shaping up our lives so that we can be ready and we can lay the baggage to the side and really do what God has called us to do. Amen? Okay, let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray.